0: You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. Hello, my name is Caden. is this on? Um, I'm this week's scripture reader, and today's teaching text will come from Matthew thirteen thirty-one through 33. Matthew 13, 31 through 33, the mustard seed and the leaven. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Caden. Appreciate you, dude. Yeah, we are in the middle of this series on the parables of Jesus, and so we continue along the way there. Um, also, if you have families or kids coming in, we have some activity guides and stuff in the back right there that you can grab and um, help you keep kiddos engaged during this time. But. Um, yeah, in the middle of this series on the parables, a parable, just a reminder, is sort of like an elusive story with a point, okay? So it's it's like it's not always completely obvious at first blush or first reading what a parable is talking about, but you chew on it, if you kind of work with it, if you kind of lean into the Lord right here, He's got really important stuff for us. And these parables that we read together, these two short parables have very similar meanings together here. And um, these are um, the first parables that the Lord gives us that he doesn't interpret. So he just gives the parable. He doesn't give the explanation for um, these parables. And so it just takes a little bit more work for us to understand in context what he's talking about. But nevertheless, um, it's important message for us today. this parable, these two parables answer um, a really important question that whether you um, have been a Christian for a long time or you're just kind of peeking over the fence, it's a question you've probably asked in some way or another through your life. And it's this question, if I can't see God working, is he at work? And You've asked that question, right, where you're, um, you're kind of looking around your life and, and whether you're thinking about, man, I'm, I'm following Jesus and it just feels like I'm not really changing, Um, It's not going very fast. It's like, man, is he really at work? Is he really doing anything? Or maybe you're looking on a more kind of global scale, and you're looking at the world, and you're going, gosh, it's like, you keep saying, Jesus, your kingdom is coming, your rule and reign is coming, but it feels like the world might be getting worse. Like, is it sliding the wrong direction here? You start asking that question. I can't, I can't see it. Are you actually at work? Are you actually doing anything here? And Jesus, in these parables, I think he reminds us, he gives us this resounding answer to the question, which is this, yes, like his God at work, yes, he is, I've got good news for you this morning, he's still at work, whether you can see it or you can't see it, and that's actually really the, the main point of the text today, if you're a, a note taker, here it is, God's kingdom isn't always obvious, but it is always at work, You can't always see it. It's not always, when you're zoomed in on your life, it's not always completely obvious to you, but but nevertheless, it's at work. I want you to remember the kingdom of God, Jesus is using these parables to explain this complex reality about what the kingdom is, and I just want you to remember this morning what it is. It's the rule and reign of Jesus. Um, The coronation of our king, the installation ceremony, if you will, it happened 2,000 years ago. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said some very important words to his followers in Matthew 28. He said, um, uh, there's really two part commissioning. First he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Um, Translate, I'm the king. There's no place in this universe that I am not ruling and reigning. But then here's the second part of that commission. He says, "Now, because I have all authority, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the world, and I want you to disciple the nations." Essentially, this makes this commission that Jesus gives it makes sense of our experience. Okay, Jesus is King, like He is exalted, but the knowledge of His kingdom, the um, the submission to His kingdom is not yet recognized everywhere, and that's why God is sending you, he's sending us into every corner of the globe to take the message of his rule and reign everywhere. Um, Jesus is already king everywhere, but goodness, we got work to do. Actually, friends, that's why we planted this church. We planted this church to be essentially an outpost of the kingdom of God. That right here on Sunday morning, even with our whole city not loving Jesus, treasuring Jesus, acknowledging Jesus as king, when we come in this room and we gather together as the people of God, we are saying with joyful hearts, we acknowledge Jesus as king here. It's meant to be like an embassy of the kingdom of God. And so you come and gather here with the people of God and you are a part of this outpost and then you're sent back into your life, right? You're sent into your classes and into your neighborhoods and into your dorms and all the places God would have you to take that authority um, and to disciple the nations wherever you are. And so his kingdom is working, right? It's moving. And even when it's not obvious to us, that's always happening. And so my hope is that this morning, as we um, begin to see some of the things about the kingdom that Jesus wants us to see, um, that we leave with a new degree of courage, a new degree of hope, a new a new degree of what I call good old-fashioned Christian optimism. Like I want you to get some of that this morning. Um, and so two things from the text about the kingdom I want us to see. Number one, the kingdom is a global blessing. Global blessing. Kids, that means that it is good everywhere. Wherever it goes, it's good. And then number two, the kingdom is a potent power. It's a potent power. Um, when something is potent, it means a little bit goes a long way. Um, I don't know if they still make them or not, but when I was a kid, um, anybody familiar with warheads, the candy? It's like a really sour, right? Now, here's the thing about a warhead. Nobody enjoys a warhead, right? If you do, don't raise your hand because everyone will think that you're just a crazy person. Um, it's, but it's a novelty, right? It's like you pull out this really sour piece of candy and you eat it with your friends. If you were to drop one warhead in a gallon of water and you left it long enough, you'd probably have like a mild fruit drink. But man, when you just take that one warhead and you put it right in your mouth, man, it's so intense. It's so potent. A little bit goes a long way. And Jesus is teaching us in these parables that that's how the kingdom works. Like it's very potent. It's very powerful. So let's go back to the top of the text here. Um, the kingdom is a global blessing. Look with me in verse 31 and 32. It says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in his branches. Okay, so remember what Jesus does in the parables. He takes things that people already understand and he uses them to explain complex realities so he says you you know how agriculture works you know how farming works you know how seeds work well that's a lot like how the kingdom of god operates in this regard i remember i'm growing up as i was a uh, as I was in school being in uh, a math class and starting to learn how to do equations, right? A basic equation that um, one of the things you learn is that you're you're trying to keep things in balance, right? And so a teacher of mine, uh, Mrs. Reed, she gave this really a parable or an illustration and said a math equation is like a uh, it's, it's like a teeter-totter, right? Because everybody in the room knows how a teeter-totter works. It's like now you can use a teeter-totter to launch your kid sister into space, or you can, the way that you're really intended to use it is you're trying to even out the weight and so everybody has a pretty good time. You're trying to keep in balance. And so everybody goes, okay, yeah, I understand how a teeter-totter works. Now it makes sense when I'm adding here, or I'm subtracting here to make everything in balance, and Jesus is doing exactly that, just like Mrs. Reed was, um, but with a mustard seed. Now, here's the thing about a mustard seed. Mustard seed is tiny. I wanna show you a mustard seed today. It's on the tip of my finger, you see it? No, No? actually there's not one there. I forgot to buy one, so I'm, I'm cheating a little bit, but if it were there, you would still have a really hard time seeing it, even you right here in the front row. Why? Because it's so microscopic. It's the kind of thing that you look at and you go, can anything of substance really come from that? We were planting our garden a few weeks back and um, was putting onion seeds in the ground. And an onion seed is a very, very small seed. Not quite as small as a mustard seed, but as I'm putting them into the ground, I find myself thinking like, is this really gonna do anything? Like it seems like, I mean, it seems like nothing. Like I'm putting nothing in the ground and you're telling me this is gonna be a thing? This is gonna create an onion that I can enjoy, that I can eat? Doesn't seem possible, but what's even more strange is that with a mustard seed, this little, tiny, almost insignificant seed when it goes in the ground becomes one of the largest garden plants that exists. I mean, in the ancient world, the mustard seed, the mustard plant that Jesus would have been referring to here, it could have been in excess of 12 feet tall. Think about that for a moment. Like, uh, like just for scale, I'm a little over six feet tall. Like, picture two of me, like if there was another one of me standing on top of my head, that's what this little insignificant seed yields, It's crazy, it's exponential, it doesn't make sense that something so big could come from something so small. And Jesus is saying that's what the kingdom of God is like. Don't miss this this morning, New City, everywhere that the rule and reign of King Jesus goes. Even when it looks little, or it looks insignificant, or it looks like it doesn't matter, it is on its way to yielding big results. It's a work, it's growing. And Jesus in this story, he tells us one really important thing in addition about this mustard plant. When it grows up, it's, it's not only little and becomes huge, but once it becomes huge, that the birds are able to nest in its branches. Now think about what a nest is for a bird. What is a, what is a nest for a bird? It's a home. It's a home. It's a um, it's a place of safety, right? When a bird builds a nest, it gets up off of the ground. It's safety from predators. Um, it's a soft bed, so as they're laying their eggs, they're not um, they're not at risk of being broken when they land in the nest. And all kinds of birds in this parable, they're really glad that the tree is around, right? like, man, I'm glad this tree is here. I found a place to nest. I found a place to call my home. And here in the parable, Jesus, as he tells us about these birds, they are meant to represent to us all the diverse kinds of people in the world. That commission in Matthew 28, when he says, make disciples of all nations, right here, he's saying that all nations will be blessed by the growth of the kingdom of God in the world. Here's a principle I want you to hold on to and remember this week. The rule and reign of King Jesus will bless the whole world, whether they like it or not. That's what's going to happen. When his kingdom comes to bear in this world, it will be a blessing every single place that it goes. And that's to the far reaches of the world. That's right here in Champaign-Urbana. Can I remind you this week how God has used you to be part of that global blessing? as a Christian. Like every time this week, you were honest in your business dealings, where it would have been easier to sort of like fudge the numbers or round the corners off or cheat on the homework, and you were honest and you operated with integrity, because Jesus, your king, commands you to be above reproach, meaning that accusation can't even stick to you, guess what, you are a blessing to the world. You're a blessing to the world because when somebody does business with you, when somebody um, interacts with you, they know they're getting honesty. They're getting integrity. And guess what? When Jesus is king of your life, it makes you show up differently in business dealings. You become a blessing to the world. When, When you are at school and you defend the person who is mercilessly being bullied, guess what you're doing? you're being a blessing to the world. Who has a greater defender heart than your God, right? And when he is your king, guess what? You model his heart. You become a defender like him. When you tell someone the gospel, you are being a blessing to the world. When you alert them to the rule and the reign of the king, you're reminding them that repentance is possible. That their suspicion that their life should matter is not too weak a suspicion, or I'm sorry, it's not too great a suspicion, it's actually too weak a suspicion. That their life is meant to matter in the economy of eternity. Any action, don't miss this, any action, however small, that is both like King Jesus and for King Jesus is a blessing to the world. And those two things are gonna be real important, okay? It's not one or the other. We have to think through this. It's like Jesus, but it's also for Jesus. Do you know, you can do stuff like Jesus, but not do it for Jesus. That's not the heart posture that he's after right here. It's not the intent. Like, if you go and serve the poor this week, and you're like, man, I'm gonna go clothe the homeless in our city, praise God. Jesus cares about those in need. He does, but if you show up and you walk up to a home, a man without a home, and you say, hey, I've got some good stuff for you, and then you just get a selfie, right? You get a grab, and you go, you stick it on Instagram, you're like, just doing my part, right? It's like the, uh, <clears throat> there are famous TikTok channels right now, right, where it's like, hey, I have a $1,000 cash, I just wanna give that to you. Am I glad that people are getting blessed? Absolutely, of course. <clears throat> but if it's in the name of self-vanity, if it's in the name of self-aggrandizement, it's not making the kingdom clearer. Because the king isn't the aim, right? We're the aim. And it, ch- it changes it. It just changes your experience of those things. If it's like Jesus, but it's not for Jesus, the, the kingdom remains sort of fuzzy. It doesn't do what it was intended to do. It lacks some of that blessing power. But think about the other side of that coin. What if what you're doing is not like Jesus, but it is for Jesus? The kingdom gets even fuzzier. Think about it for a moment. Like there are times when we are not acting like Jesus, but we do it in the name of Jesus. Here, let me give you an example so you can think about what this looks like. (laughs) let's say you're, you're in a class or you're at work and somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, I know you're a Christian. I'm dealing with this like ethical issue. I know this is stuff you think about ethics. Um, what do you, What do you think about this as a Christian? And maybe there's a very clear and plain answer from the scriptures, but in your heart, you go, gosh, I don't want this person not to like Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to round the edges off the truth. I'm not going to tell them honestly what scriptures say. I'm just going to say, yeah, he's a, God, he's a God of love. He's not really worried about what you do. Something. The temptation to do that or some version of that in the name of like, Jesus, this is for you, is great. But guess what? That's not actually like Jesus at all. The kingdom gets fuzzy when we live in those ways, but... But friend, if you find yourself walking in the room and you're going like, man, I I struggle to live like Jesus and for Jesus. I struggle to embrace both of those realities. Can I give you some hope this morning? Um, One, all of your failures in this have been forgiven and paid for by Jesus. Like he covers them. If you come in repentance? He wants to cover him. But man, if you, if you want to become like Jesus and do it for Jesus, you want your motivations and your actions to line up. You have to look again, return again to the gospel of God's grace. You got to come back to it. You got to remember it afresh. If you want to be like Jesus and for Jesus, man, you got to, you got to come back to him. Think about your Lord for a second this morning, New City. Your Lord did not come with a message saying, hey, guess what? You've really messed up, and now I want to give you a second chance. Mm. A second chance isn't good news. You know why it's not? Because guess what you do with the second chance? Same thing you do with the first chance. Think about it. If you were sitting down at a desk to take a test, and you realized, okay, I haven't studied at all for this test. Then you get really good at prayer in moments like that, right? You go, Jesus, I know I didn't study at all, but if you get me through this one time, I promise I will study so hard for the next one. And you take the test and he just shows mercy on you and you make it through, you make a 72, you squeak by and then a few weeks go by and then you go into class and you go, oh no. It happened again. And you sit down at the test and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't study at all, I don't know how to do this. And you look up at the front of the room and there stands Jesus. The good news is not that in that moment Jesus looks at you and he says, okay, I'm gonna give you a third chance. I'm gonna show up, that's not the good news. The good news is that Jesus walks to you from the front of the room in that moment and he pulls your chair back from the table and he says, scoot over, I'm taking the test. That's the good news. The good news is not that Jesus is giving you an opportunity to be better. The good news is that Jesus did everything necessary to secure your redemption. He did all of it. He did all the work. Where you sinned, every place you failed, Jesus didn't fail. In every place that you deserved the wrath of God, Jesus took the wrath upon Himself so that you wouldn't have to take it. He brought you into the family. He clothed you in the robes of His righteousness. He threw a party when you came home and you didn't deserve that, but he did it out of the joy of his heart that a sinner came home and repented. The gospel is not a second chance. The gospel is Jesus in my place. And guess what happens? If you believe that afresh this morning, you come back to that gospel, that good news, and you start to stare at the perfect love of the Lord Jesus, guess what? you're gonna become more like him. And you're gonna to want to live for him. It begins to happen. Because guess what, you, you start to live for him and you, you keep patterning your life after him, more and more and more, you, you see him, you see how he lives, you see how he does, you see everything about him, and <clears throat> the spirit starts to stir that kind of life in you. But goodness, guess what? your motivation also starts to change. Mm. See, most most of the time, the reason we are not a kingdom blessing, the most of the reason we're not really a global blessing the way that Jesus called us to be, is because in our heart of hearts, we're really afraid of disappointing the people around us, but our heart is not captured by allegiance to our king. Our heart is often captured by the fear of men. This looks different for all of us. But goodness, it's the thing in you that rises up and says, oh, I don't wanna make anybody uncomfortable. But you're willing to not make anybody else uncomfortable, but you are willing to betray your allegiance to the king. And Jesus wants to pull that motivation out. He wants to root that out, he wants to shape that, he wants to change that this morning. Like, man, I gotta I got say this. Let me tell you how this looks in my life. Um, I have to say this in my head often, okay? I don't usually say it out loud to the person I'm speaking with, but so often when I'm, I feel the fear rise up in me that wants to like, man, I want you to like me. I don't wanna say something that's gonna like challenge you or make you uncomfortable. In my head and in my heart, I have to say, I'm not afraid of you. I am afraid of God. Like, who do you defer to in that moment? That's who your king is. Like, goodness gracious, we are called to be a people who, like, man, we're not. We we want to be a blessing. We we should be an, the aroma of Christ in the world. Um, people should like to be around Christians. But listen to me, goodness. We're going to be called in our day to say some things that are really uncomfortable and really unpopular. My goodness, Champaign Urbana as a whole does not like what we teach about the exclusivity of Jesus in salvation. They don't like what we teach about gendered identity and sexuality, that God uh, actually owns all of it. Right? But goodness gracious, who is our allegiance to? If we want to be a global blessing, like man, we're gonna gonna have to get kind of comfortable in that pocket, okay? And so friends, just a reminder, if you you want to be a global blessing, return to the gospel. Like look back at Jesus, he's gonna put that in you. He's gonna help you to be more like him and to live for him. Last question I want to ask in this point that I want you to reflect on during the sermon. I want you to think about this through your week very practically, how could you be a small blessing to someone in your life? Like, as the people of God, the aroma of the kingdom of God should follow us around. Like my uh, my wife, she loves to bake bread. She breaks, bakes a lot of bread right now. It's one of my favorite things about her. I love it, because when you come into my house so often, just the aroma of fresh baked bread like overwhelms you. I can like feel my me having to uh, like open my belt up because I've eaten so much bread. I can feel that just by the smell. And man, there should be a sweetness when the people of God are launched into this city. This could look as simple as like, man, instead of keeping my headphones in when I'm checking out at the coffee shop this week, I'm gonna take them out, I'm gonna have a conversation with the barista. How are you? What's hard for you right now? How can I pray for you right now? It could look like buying the food for the person in line next to you. It could look like um, lingering with a friend when you're really in a hurry and you just want to kind of run out of the room but they need a conversation and you just resolve to like, I'm gonna listen like Jesus would listen. Why? Because he's my king. Because he sets the bottom line these little acts of blessing over time it change everything it really do everything really we're going to talk more about that in the same in the second point here's the second point the kingdom is a potent power it's a potent power now, i gave you that illustration a few minutes ago about a, a warhead but most personally to me and The example of potency that I think of most um, is at my grandparents' house, every Saturday morning, we would make something called orange juice from concentrate. Does anybody know what that is? It's a very grandparent thing to have around, okay? It's wonderful. And uh, and so um, my grandmother, she would pull out um, like a gallon jar, and then out of the freezer, she would get orange what basically looked like a cinnamon roll can, and it was called orange juice from concentrate. And then she'd go over to the sink and turn on the hot water, and run it under the hot water to kind of loosen the can, um, the can up, so you you know to kind of zhuzh it out of the can here in a minute. And then she'd take it and she'd pop the lid off, and she'd turn it over the can, and then the most satisfying thing in the world happened. It was the slow drop of the concentrate out, and then this wonderful sound that was a. Like, like that kind of sound, and it would fall in, right? And if you were just to add a few drops of water to that concentrate, man, it'd be way too tart, it'd be way too sweet, um, but when you fill it all the way up and you mix it in, um, it takes up the whole space. It, it livens the whole space. It becomes uh, really enjoyable to drink. When something is potent, a little bit goes a long way. It has a really strong effect. And that's what Jesus teaches us in the next parable. In verse 33 it says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now here, Jesus is using the image of leaven or I want you to think about, it's, it's yeast in bread, okay? So if you were to want to bake bread, um, you'd go to the store probably and you'd get a little packet of yeast. Like, And when you would put that yeast in some hot water and then mix it into the dough, yeast are these little living organisms. And what's really weird is that when you put them into the bread dough, they start to consume the flour, they start to eat it, and then they expel carbon dioxide. And as they expel that carbon dioxide, it starts to bubble and bubble and bubble. And that's what causes the bread to rise. Okay, Um, so it's these little living organisms here um, that cause it to raise up. And for the Jewish people who Jesus was talking to, um, they didn't often put yeast in their bread. It wasn't like the norm. Okay, their norm was what we would call unleavened bread, which would be like a flat bread. So think of like a pita or some naan. Um, And and the reason for that was because at the first Passover, when God was rescuing his people out of Egypt, he told them this, he said, um, he's like, you guys are gonna have to leave in a hurry. So you don't have time to let your bread rise to bake it. You just gotta whip it together, put it over the coals, get it baked, so you can move out at the drop of a hat. And so that became the normative practice of the people of God, to have unleavened bread. And um, because of that, risen bread sort of had a bad reputation. It was kind of like, it was kind of gross, like, when you think about it, like, these little yeasts are like burping carbon dioxide, and that's what, they didn't know that specifically, but it was like, oh, there's like these living bacteria sort of things in your bread, it's a little gross, but then Jesus uses that thing that's culturally not very popular, he flips it on his head, and he uses it in a very positive light to explain the nature of the kingdom, Now, did you notice there, he said, this woman hides um, leaven in three measures of flour. Now, that may not mean much to us at face value, but three measures of flour is 50 pounds of flour. Like, picture it, right, you've seen a one-pound bag of flour or sugar, something like this, times that by 50. Think about the amount that is. This woman comes in, and she hides just a little bit of leaven and she gives it time, and before you know it, what does the parable say? Till the flower, till it was all leavened. That is some potent leaven. God's kingdom, don't miss this, is potent like that. It takes time, right? It takes time to work its way through the world, but eventually, the kingdom the acknowledgement of Jesus' rule and reign will cover every square inch of the globe. It's coming, it's gonna happen. And it's why, friends, for among other reasons, why New City's mission is to saturate this city with the gospel is because of a very text like this that we wanna see every nook and cranny of this city covered with an awareness of God's kingdom. I mean we can we can read something like this on paper and go, okay, yeah, it's it's potent, but it takes a long time, and um, but it's gonna happen. And we can read that on paper, but honestly, if we're honest, some of us look around and we go, I don't see anything changing. Like, man, you say, Jesus, your kingdom is coming, but I but I don't see anything obviously changing. And Can I tell you, friends, can I give you some good news this morning that if you give the kingdom of God enough time, it will transform any culture. It'll do it. It's its nature. It's leaven and flour. It can't not. I had a conversation with my brother-in-law yesterday. They just went on a cave tour in uh, Lake of the Ozarks, and um, as they went on this cave tour, cave tour, um, the woman who gave them their tour, she had been giving this same tour for 40 years. 40 years going into this cave, pointing out these same artifacts again and again and again, and one of the things she pointed out was um, you could get up close to a few stalactites, which are these like pointy things that grow out of the ceiling of a cave, and as she got the tour up close to this, she reminded them that these stalactites grow at a rate of about an inch every hundred years. Picture that. You see some of them, they're huge, some of them, they're very small. And so the, the ones that this lady was pointing out right here, they're like this long. And she's like, I remember when they were this long. And it's like imperceptible growth, right? She has given her entire professional vocational life to giving these tours. And in 40 years, she has seen less than half an inch of growth. That's slow and steady. But guess what? It's happening. Still growing. Like when you zoom out for a second, like when you're close like that, it's like Man, 40 years this is taking forever, but you zoom out and you start to go past the lifetime of just one guy or one girl. And you start to go, man, I start to think about in mean, the pirates that use that cave for shelter, hundreds of years ago, and then uh, the the moonshine still guys who would hide in there, and then further and further back, the, the native peoples who would use it for ceremonies, and then on and on and on. You start looking back at the generations and you go, man, at some point, those great big stalactites, they started out small, but man, slow and steady. It's like the beat of a drum. You see, when we as Christians, we plant roots in a place, we build businesses, like some of you are entrepreneurs, you're gifted entrepreneurs. When we raise children, when we disciple younger believers, when we change diapers for God's glory, when we create systems to care for the poor, when we plant churches, we are part of God's long-term strategy to transform the world. We get to be part of it. and Man, like some of us, we hear that and we go like, man, is, is what I'm doing really contributing to that? Like you look around and Man, some of you are in the throes of like raising young families, and you're going like, you say like, okay, Nick, yeah, every diaper matters in the economy. And it's like, well, how, do, how does that even connect? Think about this for a moment. Every act of sacrificial love toward your child, you are claiming that ground for the kingdom of God because you are loving like the king loves. And when you do that over and over and over and over, you create an environment in a home where your kids are gonna grow up and all of a sudden the gospel is going to be believable to them because they've seen the love of Jesus modeled again and again and again. Every diaper, when you're in the trench of it, it's like how does this diaper matter in the kingdom of God? Slow and steady wins the race like, man, do we just keep coming to church and keep hearing sermons and keep singing songs and keep singing the Lord's Supper every single week? Yes, until Jesus comes back. And here's why. Because every Sunday, we are gathering together as the people of God and saying, we are his people, his kingdom is present in this city, and every week is like another swing of the battering ram every song sung in worship to the king is like another swing of the ax at the base of the tree of the darkness in this world. Every time it happens slow and steady, God is working his kingdom into this world. And when you gather here and you worship and you sing and you're encouraged, guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna go take that encouragement, that worship, you're gonna take it back to your home. You're going to take it back to your classes. You're going to take it back to your workplace. And when you do that, you are claiming a little more territory, a millimeter more of territory week after week after week. And when people do that for a lifetime, a city changes. A little bit of leaven in a whole lot of flour. Can you see the movement? No, you got to zoom out. You gotta zoom out, can I I tell you, at least once a year, Aaron and I try to sit down, we have, um, our anniversary is on December 30th, so it's sort of a, this natural, at the end of the year, we just do like the State of the Union for the Vulcanings. Like, how are we doing? Where are we headed? What happened the last year? And so often when I'm in the thick of it, my life, I'm going like, man, is there, are we really even making a difference? Like, does this really matter? Because right? you're just in it. You're just in the trenches. But then you start to zoom back and you start to go like, man, our friend's marriage was healed this last year. You start to go, man, my, my, my brother Josh is about to preach his first sermon. You start to zoom back and you look at the big picture and you go, oh my gosh, like you are at work. So even as slow as the growth is, can I, can I encourage you, if you pay attention, you can see it. So look at it. Friends, the people of God are called to be a potent people. Here's a question for us. Have we lost our flavor? Are we called to be potent, and yet we're just sort of weak sauce, if you will? See, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Like, man, y'all, if we wanna be a potent people, if we wanna be a global blessing, it means we actually have to show up to the world in Jesus' name. In everything that we do, um, the church has, through the years, it all, it has said often that all of life happens quorum Deo. That means before the face of God. It means if you, if you treat the smallest thing like pulling weeds out of my garden, like I hope I get to do this afternoon, you treat that you treat studying, if you treat diaper changing, if you treat brushing your teeth as an act of worship and allegiance to your king, you are claiming ground for the kingdom of God in every act. That means everything matters. Like, but man, if you're losing your saltiness, if you're going like, man, I don't I don't see any of that connected to this big story of worship and cultural transformation, you're not living as a Christian you need to repent. Receive the invitation of the Father here. Man, you guys go ahead and come up. If we're gonna be kingdom people like Jesus is talking about right here, if we are going to be like this little thing that creates all this big fruit, we're gonna become like this leaven that potently blesses the world, we're gonna have to get comfortable with a couple of things. And here they are, here's the two things we're gonna have to get comfortable with, church family. Number one, we're gonna have to get comfortable being a strong flavor as a church. My goodness, if we fear the Lord, we won't fear people. Like there are gonna be times when you're gonna be called to um, speak clearly and honestly about who Jesus is in the face of opposition. And that's uncomfortable. Everything in you in that moment wants to rise up and say allegiance to Jesus is too difficult. I'm gonna pledge allegiance to myself and can I tell you, you're a bad king. You're great, I love you, but man, you are not worth giving your allegiance to. God made you for a bigger story. If we are unwilling to tell the truth, if we're unwilling to stand on principle when it gets difficult, we cannot be a strong flavor. And man, can I tell you, in this age, in this day, outside of the gospel that we proclaim, the most critical currency of the Christian church will be courage. Like some of you need to recover some Christian courage. And this morning, like Jesus, he is really capable and happy to take people with knocking knees who are weak and afraid and make them lions he loves to do it your god loves cliffhangers isn't that infuriating that he tends to just bring us like right up to the edge of like it's not gonna everything's gonna fall apart and then he steps in and he rescues Part of the fun of being a people of courage is that you, when the Lord says step up to the edge, you, instead of saying, oh no, instead you say, what are you about to do? A people of courage give God invitation and opportunity to show up. Why don't we live like that? Let's do it. We're not just gonna have to be comfortable being a strong flavor, but here's the second thing we're gonna have to get comfortable with, church family. We're gonna have to get comfortable with being overlooked, being small, being seemingly insignificant. Can I tell you this morning, all those little deposits walking with the Lord, all those little steps of obedience that nobody sees, all those little unseen acts of worship where you um, build with integrity, you literally with your hands and you build something with integrity, where you are fighting to provide for your family, where you show up and you work on an airplane and you make it work and fly with integrity, where you don't cheat on your homework, where you um, you, um, instead of I'm pulling out the phone and looking at pornography. But you say, Jesus, you are king. I'm going to do this in a way that honors you. Every one of those unseen acts of worship. Listen to me. Don't miss this. If you get one thing today, get this. He sees it. He sees it. And if you are unseen by the whole world, but you are seen by the Lord, can I tell you this morning, you have everything that you need every act of worship, everything. When you salt your food as an act of worship, when you make a sandwich, when you serve at church, when you leave with a church planting team, when you marry the girl, when you ask for the promotion, when you go on the date, when it's all an act of worship, you are inviting the rule and reign of King Jesus wherever your feet land. I want that for you want it for us. Every diaper, when you're raising kingdom citizens, when you are modeling the service of the king, God is slowly changing the world through stuff like that. And if I can speak to families for a moment, because this is Family Sunday, like when you're just in the chaos of raising young kids, it can feel really hard to know how How does this really contribute? But in a world that hates God's kingdom, like you can't control the culture, right? You can't control what everybody else is doing out there, but what you can do, whether you have kids or you're single, you can make your home a microcosm of the kingdom of God. You can make your little life and say, this is what it looks like when the kingship and authority of Jesus is acknowledged. And then when non-believers come into that, guess what? And they see, they're like, man, I don't even believe this. I don't even like this. But they look around and everybody is flourishing in their gifts. Everybody's growing. There's happiness and vibrance that can't be purchased by a thing or by a system. They may not believe it. They may not like it, but they want it. That's powerful. You see, the king of the kingdom modeled this truth in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that while the kingdom of God isn't always obvious, like when the God-man is hanging dead on a tree, the kingdom is always working. Because what happened three days later? He didn't stay dead. He's at work. Think about your savior, friends, born in Podunk, Nazareth seemingly insignificant little thing to the point where people would meet Jesus and say, he's from Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? Well, a global movement and salvation for God's people can come from Nazareth. See, I I love you enough to remind you this morning, this may sound discouraging, but I really want this to be encouraging, so please take it that way you're going to die. It's coming. And that thing in you that steps back maybe in a moment like this and goes like, gosh, I want it to count. That's a good desire. If you want it to count, it will not count in you raising yourself up and showing the world how amazing you are. It will count When it's lived for the King, because someday you're going to sit with Him. He's going to say, "I saw that. You remember when this happened, and you felt so afraid that nobody would ever see you? I saw." So keep going. Hold courage. The Kingdom, while it's not always obvious, it is always at work. Let's pray. God, will you help us believe this? By your grace, by the power of your grace, will you make us a people that roll up our sleeves and get to work? That with joyful attitudes, we get out of bed and we go to work. Get out of bed and we go to our studies. So we believe that you're putting all these pieces together for your glory. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, here in New City, we don't just want to talk about it. We actually want to be about it. And one of the ways we do that is by responding intentionally to the Word of God. And so today, um, we respond typically in three key ways. Number one, we reflect where is God speaking through his word today? Where do you need to reclaim a big view of God's kingdom and his economy, his work? Whatever the Lord is doing, don't move past this moment without really doing business with the Lord. And then secondly, we respond by remembering the Lord's death in the Lord's Supper. Right over here, two stations in the front, you will find some broken bread represents his body broken for you. You'll find some juice representing his shed blood and you'll just come up, dip it in the juice and take it as you're ready. what I want you to remember in that moment is that um, the Lord's death and resurrection is a promise that the kingdom actually is going to come. Like that he's going to come back to the point that he says, I'm not taking the fruit of the vine again until I take it with you. Do you know the next time Jesus takes this meal, it'll be with us. And he's going to raise his glass and we'll raise our glass to the king and say, all hail the king. You did it. You accomplished it man, I couldn't see the progress. It felt slow. It felt impossible, but you did it. All hail the King. So if you are a Christian in the room, let this Lord's Supper be your pledge of allegiance to the Lord. And then finally, my friends, we rehearse by singing that day, right? This is an outpost of heaven. And so we, get to see heaven come to earth as the people of God sing the praises and worship of God. So let's claim this space as kingdom territory as we sing. I love you. I love being your pastor. Respond when you're ready.